This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. Hey, so how's it going? It's going. How are you? Well, um, I am currently packing right now as we're talking. Woo-hoo. You can see it because um, I have a workshop next week. Mm-hmm. So- where are you going? Dallas. Oh, you're going to be super close. I know. If I had won my day off, I could come. Oh, no, you'll be gone by then anyway. Never yeah, mind. Yeah, we leave the third. But uh, it's super exciting. It's called Get Your Teach On. And by the time this episode comes out, it'll already be over. So. Oh, my gosh. I'm still going to play a little Missy Elliott to like, get you in the mood. Right. <laughs> so I'm still going to plug us at Get Your Teach On. But I definitely am going to be in a room full of elementary school teachers trying to explain that when I'm not at school talking to children, I'm just saying fuck a lot. I assume that's what all teachers do. Oh, you'd be surprised. I mean, I assume that all teachers go home at the end of the day and just scream fuck over and over again into the void. We deserve it. You do deserve it. (laughs) While drinking. Um, One of my favorite Broadway performers, I might have told you this, uh, Leslie Margarita, one day she tweeted, um, all of the times I whisper fuck underneath my breath in a day could equal to one very loud screlting fuck. And I'm like, <laughs> I feel that that is a mood. <laughs> yeah. So literally today at work, I told one of my coworkers, if I don't come in on Monday, it's because I faked my own death. Don't look for me. Good plan. <laughs> you can don't come find me. Just leave me. <laughs> You can come hide out in my guest room. I cleaned out the junk room, so there's room for both of y'all now. Excellent. On our way. Good, good. (laughs) Um, So I have a surprise for you. Yay. I watched most of this movie this week. Yes. Oh, my God. It was cuckoo bananas, right? I was not kidding. No. Jenna Elfman? So, because I can only think of her as Dharma, Dharma, mm-hmm. I forget that she's actually a good actress. And that she's super hot. Oh, no, I never forgot that. No, I mean, but she gets pretty naked in this movie. Yeah, she she's does. hot. Oh yeah, she God. does. So, you know, I've got, like, my two screens set up where when mm-hmm. we record, one of my screens is taken with the, like, audio uh, mm-hmm. interface. Yeah. But today I had her acting on the little screen while I was doing research on the big screen. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Oh, like I finally had to turn it off so I could research. Naked. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's when I stopped researching. I was like, "Hey, hey, girl." (laughs) Yeah, this movie was crazy. It is the perfect throwback to old school Lifetime. Barely suitable for TV. Lots of sex, um, and just. Just extremely. What is the word I'm looking for? Racy. Racy. Yeah, that'll uh, do. It's also like it's the style of Lifetime. Is there a dead body on the TV behind you? What is oh, going yeah, on? Yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to be distracted. Love Look, it. I have a full of murderous rage today. This week has sucked. So yes. You and I deal with things so differently. Like, I had a really rough day not too long ago, so I watched Jeopardy on Netflix, and you watched Dahmer, so... Well, I'm just... I have on just 2020, 
because I can't actually kill someone, so I like to watch stories about other people who do. I, I mean, listen, I won't tattle. Speaking of, did you see the new uh, podcast that came out this week, Insomniac? No, tell me about it. Oh, it's it's an iHeartRadio, I think, or a podcast. Anyways, it's a guy, and he does like super deep dives into really dark cases. Ooh. And he researches when he can't sleep because he has insomnia. Oh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like ParCast podcasts, but they also make me feel bad about myself mm-hmm. because they're like so well-researched and scripted. And then I come in here and I like read the Wikipedia page 30 minutes yeah. before we were recording. And I'm like, so there was this guy, dude, thing. <laughs> and then- he, did, he did the I-5 killer this week. Okay. Or the I-5 strangler, which yeah. I had never heard of. And so I went through, I was going through Amazon earlier when I texted you and said, I just found a whole plethora of Lifetime movies. Yeah. There's an I-5 Strangler movie. Ooh. Yeah. So I'll have to put that on the list. My list is up to over 70 movies now. What? That we have not watched yet. Right. Plus, I mean, they announced that they're making like, you know, a few months ago, they announced that they're filling the next couple years with mm-hmm. lots of true stories. So especially yes, true crime. So thank you, Lifetime, for supporting right. our habit. They must have heard us and been like, those people are awesome. We got to make some more movies for them. What <laughs> if we become like the bubbly sesh for Lifetime? <laughs> they would probably make us stop using the F word. Oh, never but mind. we would be willing to negotiate for that. I have a price. Yeah, that's true. Everyone has a price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My price would include benefits. Just heads up, lifetime. <laughs> I want a four hundred one. Thank you, Regina Flange. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, this movie was bananas. Tell me everything, because I okay. only watched about half of it. So it's called Obsessed. I've had um, the Mariah Carey song stuck in my head all day. It came out in 2002. That's an older one. It doesn't seem like that should be old, but damn, that was 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. Jenna Elfman plays Elena Roberts. You know her from Dharma and Greg and the movie Keeping the Faith. Oh, yeah, she is mm-hmm. in that. This movie is very... Um, incestuous with its cast a lot of these people have been in stuff together oh yeah okay mm-hmm. um kate burton plays sarah aka lawyer dr gray because she was uh ellis gray in gray's anatomy oh, okay and that's where she scandal. i knew her from mm-hmm. okay she's also on scandal she was the lady that hosted the super conservative tv she was wrestling i never saw scandal <laughs> Um, Lisa Edelstein plays Charlotte. She's on The Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. She was also in Keeping the Faith. Okay. But the whole time, I was like, I know I know her from somewhere. I know I know her from somewhere. And halfway through the movie, it hit me. She's everyone's favorite um, call girl from the West Wing. Oh! Oh! In the very first episode, she wakes up in bed with Rob Lowe. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Where she says, oh, your boss is a funny name. Yes. And that's when he says, POTUS, it's a nickname that means President of the United <laughs> States. <laughs> um, 
And speaking of a uh, guy's name, Sam, <laughs> the um, actor Sam Robards plays David Stillman. He was in AI, American Beauty, and he was also in The West Wing. Yeah, they really were keeping it all mm-hmm. in the family. And then also, <sighs> sorry, guys, I just ran up three flights of stairs still. So. Aaron was literally working out whenever I said we need to record right now. She was... <laughs> yeah. That's what happened. She was doing that Jody Arias workout. <laughs> We're like halfway through. I decided to run back and go kill my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> um, this week's Pornhubber TV comes to us from our friend Lisa Edelstein, our did, favorite call girl. I didn't know if you would have one, so I actually have one for my casting too. Excellent. Okay. They. She was in... A movie called Unzipping. Go. Unzipping is actually a um, science documentary about people who figured out how to take apart the human DNA. And instead of having a double helix DNA strand, they figured out how to unzip it into single strands. Um, It is about Australian scientist Jane Davenport, um, who also discovered... um, that H. pylori was curable and that we didn't have to have stomach ulcers anymore. Wow. That's almost as crazy as what this movie actually is. <laughs> because I'm just going to read you this synopsis from IMDb because I still can't really figure out what the plot is to this movie. I can't wait. <clears throat> Ella and Ziki sure. embrace in a routine kiss when she is suddenly pricked on the lip by an unknown source, a zipper under Ziki's tongue. In the thrill of curiosity and a chance to escape her mundane relationship, Ella pulls the zipper under the guy's tongue to reveal Jurgen lying underneath. Jurgen is the antithesis of Ziki, and Ella finds temporary happiness in the change he brings to her life. However, as the bliss of new love fades, so too does Ella's sense of fulfillment. She pulls Tiki's skin from its hiding place in the kitchen and longs for the man she cast aside. She sinks in the realization that happiness cannot be manifested in others. The change must come from within. To her surprise, Ella soon discovers a zipper under her own tongue. What the fuck? (laughs) As she stares at herself in the mirror... She contemplates a difficult decision of whether or not to pull. What the fuck is that? So halfway through, I was like, this isn't an original idea. This is Family Matters. And that's Stefan from Steve Urkel. (laughs) And then it turned into, did you ever see the horror film May? No. So in May, a girl is lonely. So she wants to create the perfect friend. So she starts to stalk people who have the like perfect features and she takes them. It's like, she likes this girl's eyes. So she takes them out of the sockets and she puts them on this doll. And then spoil alert to everyone listening. You've had 19 years to watch this movie. Now Um, the closing scene is like this doll. That's all these body parts. She's stolen from people. It fades out and it shows just the shadow of her crying by her doll. Cause she's kind of realized what a monster she's become. And you see the shadow of the doll raise its hand and wipe her tears. Mm. <laughs> this also is very reminiscent of what I'm watching or what I was watching Jeffrey Dahmer 
who wanted to make a zombie boyfriend. All things go back to Dahmer. Uh, everything does. <laughs> it's the circle of life. It's the circle of life. All right. So let's watch this movie. Let's do it. So it opens, and the first thing I typed was, ooh, Lifetime spent some real money on this one. Right? <laughs> well, and they were using the hell out of that song. It comes in, mm-hmm. like, every it four minutes. Several times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they paid, like, $300,000 for it, I'm sure, so they had to get their use out of it. We open with Jenna Elfman in the shower, while Alicia Keys plays in the background. You know, one time, um, my Facebook status, and I still support this, is if you think about how lucky we are, all of us could be born at any moment in Earth's history, and God let us all be born at the same time that Alicia Keys was around. <laughs> That's how much I love her. She's interrupted, though, by a very insistent knock on her door. Like, whoa. That was some aggressive knocking. It, yes. She grabs a towel off the hat rack in her bathroom, which who keeps a hat rack in their bathroom? Do you not? No. You don't want your hat to get wet when you take a bubble bath. <laughs> I mean, I just leave my hat by the front door. Oh. Right? You got that bougie apartment and no hat rack. That's, That's what you're telling me? Yeah. <laughs> your house poor couldn't get a hat rack? I have a nice <laughs> look. <laughs> um, it's the police. They have a warrant for her arrest. And the guy legit starts to put the handcuffs on her. While she's dripping wet in her bathrobe. Butt ass naked. Yeah. I mean, she's in the bathrobe, but. She's like, I would like to be Mirandized with clothes on. <laughs> so they give her five minutes to change. She's taken to jail and fingerprinted, etc. Um, I guess when she changed, she thought like a business suit was the best thing to wear to jail. Well, what would you wear? Um, sweats, maybe. Okay. I don't I mean, want to be comfortable. That's a choice. She meets a lady and then complains to her that jail is just so cliche. <laughs> <laughs> I did not get this whole exchange, if I'm being honest. What did you get about it? I mean, I understood all the words. Right. Well, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. If not, I have real problems with you teaching the youth of our country. <laughs> you'd be surprised Mm. um but just it seemed like an unnecessary exchange in this whole movie well wait till we get to the end okay well towards the end okay so it it comes together after i stopped watching Mm. okay um lady whose name we don't know yet is in for contempt because she's a journalist and she pissed off a judge like you do yeah, Elena tells the journalist, or starts to tell her why why, why she's there. God, it's going to be another week where I only edit out myself. <laughs> oh no, you haven't heard me yet. And then we flash back to some time earlier. I guess it's not important how long ago this was, it doesn't say. So, it, it was, could be two weeks, it could be nine years. It was the know. dawn of time. Oh, sure. Yeah. She just like spontaneously appeared outside this airport. Using all the words in the dictionary. (laughs) Elena is standing outside the airport waiting for a cab and a guy gets in line behind her and he compliments her hair. Did you see, did you catch this exchange? Yes, it's important. Because she says, oh, I think last time it was a French braid. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, okay. This exchange is important in real life. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Well, in the movie, it's not important at all. It's just weird. Um, she's a pretty girl, and she's been waiting for a cab for 10 whole minutes. So Dr. David, that's the guy, he gives her a ride. They're both there for a conference. Elena is a medical writer, and Dr. David is obviously a doctor. Um, he calls the nice hotel he's staying at to get her a room because she wasn't staying there. And he is just such a nice guy. Men never do something nice without wanting something in return. It's true. She reminds him. Oh, no, no, no. Hold on. They go to dinner and they talk about HMOs, which sounds like an actual nightmare that I've had. Uh, right? And she's like, in my opinion, HMOs are ruining health care. The family dog gets better care than a human. But she also has to throw in every word she's ever learned. It's literally the lamest conversation I've <laughs> ever learned. Um, then he walks her back to her hotel room. She starts rubbing her own body so that he'll also want to rub her body. I mean, and, I see nothing wrong with this. And he does want to rub her body, but then she, like, reminds him that he's wearing a wedding ring. Yeah, she just, like, picks his hand up by the ring. Yeah. And I don't know why that scene made me so uncomfortable. Like He's got no chill. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, if you're okay with it, I am. <laughs> and I guess she's okay with it because they go inside and get it on. <laughs> um. I apologize. My dogs are very angry. I don't know what's going on. It's probably better than my heavy breathing right now. Um, Dr. David gives the keto address at this conference. They talk about surgery. So after the keynote address, um, they go to the airport. They say goodbye. He grabs her by the arm. He's like, I want to see you again. But she just kisses him and she leaves. So he's like, I guess that's a yes, as she runs away. I often think when people run away from me that what they really want is to see me. Yes. So I start chasing after them, lumbering. And I'm not a cute runner. Like, my arms go flailing like I'm in a poorly written <laughs> anime. Um, it's real sexy. Um, back in jail, we meet Dr. Ellis Gray, the lawyer that's taken her case pro bono. Well, no wonder Ellis went crazy. She had to deal with this woman. No shit. <laughs> um, she tells the lawyer that she and Dr. David had a long-term relationship and he broke her heart. She just wanted him back and she did something stupid to get his attention because she loves him. Is that so bad? I mean, is that really a crime? Uh, Spoiler alert. Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> I, was saying, I didn't see the ending, but I do know that when I have been heartbroken, Nothing I've ever done wound me up in jail. So Truth. what you did probably was a crime. Flashback again. They're doing a crossword puzzle in like the most pretentious way. Right. Right. They tried to make like the crossword puzzle a sex scene. What a couple of assholes these two are. <laughs> Jesus. Um. She straddles him and eats breakfast while bringing, like, the answers to the crossword, like, just to her brain. You know, she just thinks of them off the fly because she studies these words on the weekend. <laughs> Chrysanthemum. <laughs> Hippopotamus esquipedalianism. <laughs> and he goes, you're brilliant. And she's like, I she's fucking like, know. I know. <laughs> 
calls her amazing and it gives her the crazy eyes. Yes. And so then she starts complaining about his wife. Like you do when somebody compliments you, then you tear someone else down to make you look better. Absolutely. Yeah. Like Aaron, you are so beautiful. Did I tell you about Tiffany? She is so butt ugly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have one friend named Tiffany and she's not butt ugly at all. Oh, well, Um, congratulations, Tiffany, on not being ugly. We're proud of you. You're beautiful. We love you. Um, We see her outside a restaurant looking pretty pissed. Okay. Why? She also looks hot. So, you know, because he's late. How dare he? He's two hours late. For their dinner. How dare the important surgeon be late cheating on his wife? I guess she stood outside that restaurant for two whole hours just so she could storm off into a cab when he finally got there. (laughs) (laughs) That's dedication. Um, it's completely stupid, but I kind of understand the motivation. Have you ever wanted to make a point like so badly? Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah you're like i will do this stupid thing just to make a point or like when you're holding on to the thing you want to say even though the conversation has changed but you're still going to get it in oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. i'm gonna have the last word exactly so she gets in the cab she tells him it's over and then she rides away and that's the end of the movie yep the end you tell the story now <laughs> <laughs> um he calls her and calls her and finally, he she answers and she says, he says, I'm leaving my wife. And we don't usually get our edit of the week this early in the movie. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Okay. But get this. So he's on the phone with her. He's like, I'm leaving my wife. It cuts to her. She's laying in bed. She rolls over and he pops his head out of the covers. And I was like, were you calling from under there? <laughs> It's a it's a new uh, bedroom game. You probably haven't heard of it. It's it was a pretty close edit to the Jody area's underwater blowjob. <laughs> Only not as exciting. Um, not as salacious. That's the word I was looking for salacious. earlier. Salacious. Um, you were clearly no Elena. No. She knew that word, chrysanthemum. At least I'm not fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um Jury's still out on me, but... He pops out of the covers and says that he loves her. And she does this thing all the time where she's like, he'll say something and she'll be like, say it again. Oh, God. That's because she's hard of hearing. She's trying to piece the vowel sounds together. Okay. She tells the lawyer that they spent hours and hours on the phone and they talk about his crazy doctor schedule. And so they spend a lot of nights together at his apartment. He rented in the city, quote, for convenience. I've seen Mad Men. Mad Men. I know what that means. <laughs> um, we get a gratuitous sex scene. Lots of humping, half a boob and half a guy's ass. I was not offended by any of it. <laughs> Elena wears scrunchies and I am offended by that. You and your scrunchies, come on, accept them. They yeah. don't pull your hair out. You can get one in every color to match every outfit. I refuse. Um, Dr. David buys Elena a Cartier love bracelet. And now I'm super jealous. What but also you, this is going to come back. Do you want to get you a rich surgeon where you can be the side piece? And No. Okay. I you just want, want the Cartier bracelet? I want the $20,000 bracelet. Okay. I was just, I was just trying to check your like mm-hmm. um, itemized list here. Yep. That, it's, it's one thing on the what itemized the, list. It's the $20,000 bracelet. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Elena says she feels really bad about what she did. And lawyer Dr. Ellis Gray tells her not to worry. This will probably be dismissed. They have the bail hearing this afternoon, but we're like 30 minutes into this movie. So it's definitely not going to be dismissed. Nope. Um, Dr. Lawyer Ellis Gray requests Elena be released without bail because she's not a criminal. The DA asks that she be held without bail because she'll probably just go back to being a nutbag and terrorizing the good doctor and his family. And the judge laughs at them both. Yes. (laughs) He's like, you're both ridiculous. $200,000. So Elena goes back to jail. And lawyer Dr. Ellis Gray tells her to hang in there. She and the DA fight about it in the hallway. And he says, Elena and the doctor, the DA was like, the big drop is that they never even dated. What? (gasps) Sorry. I wish I could have been faster on that. She storms into the men's room to call the DA a liar. And he tells her that Elena is crazy. And also she's being kind of crazy. So please exit the men's room so I can pee. Um, Back at jail, Elena's roommate is the lady who is being held in contempt. And this was the first time that I put, I'm starting to think she's not real. Oh. Um, I didn't even think about that, but I think you've got a point. Well, I know I have a point. <laughs> Lawyer yeah, but Dr. I didn't Ellis- finish it, so I don't know. Yeah. Lawyer Dr. Gray is at home researching the case. Um, Elena is trying to sleep in jail, but instead we flash back again. She approaches the doorman at the building where um, Dr. David has his like little um, side apartment and says she's going to surprise the doctor. So the, the doorman is like, oh, totally, I'll let you in. Yeah. Just like the opposite of how doormen work. Right. I mean, don't you have a doorman to make it easier to open the door? No, it's to keep people out. I don't, I don't belong. I don't think you know what a doorman is. That sounds like a I keep out man. I absolutely know what a doorman is. <laughs> Um, the doctor comes home and she surprises him, but he's mad at her because Elena had called his service to see if he was coming to the apartment and left her own name. So the service called his wife and told her that she was at the apartment. My favorite thing is her response. Isn't that unethical? You're having an affair <laughs> with a married man. Who are you, the ethics police? <laughs> The wife wants to talk to her. Um, She says no and storms to the bedroom because she's on the phone, right? Right. She picks up the other line and hears the wife say she's going to, quote, drive down there and throw that disreputable slut out the window. (laughs) Um, Because I... The dialogue in this movie is just ace. (laughs) I may forget to mention it later, so I'm telling you now. That is a quote. I love it. That is a quote. Um... Doc says he'll, quote, handle it, and then tells Elena she's made his life complicated, but he likes it, so they make out. You skipped the part where the wife said you'll also catch a disease from her. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's also a quote. She said uh, you'll get venereal disease from her. (laughs) Well, who's the doctor now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, his wife's a doctor, too, but I'll get into this. Um, Back in jail... Elena meets with lawyer Dr. Gray and they they talk about how Dr. David is saying there was no relationship. 
Elena tells a story about a Walter Matthau movie where the husband convinces his wife that she's making up his affair. I've never heard of this movie. I don't know if it's real, but it had a real whopper of a plot line. Like, yeah, right? Um, later, Dr. Gr- uh, Lawyer Gray and the DA are having lunch together. Yeah. And I was like, is this a thing? Oh, yeah. Lawyers are friends outside the courtroom. They're just pissed at each other in the courtroom. I mean, but, okay, so if I'm charged with a crime, like, is my lawyer going to go to the DA's office and they're going to have lunch and, like, talk about my case? They that's can. weird. I, as long as she I doesn't... I feel like that's weird. As long as she doesn't divulge, like, the private information. I don't know. I feel like it's weird. If I ever get charged with a crime, I'll know... A new, I'll have a new thing to ask my attorney. <laughs> I'd be like, you're not friends with a DA, are you? <laughs> and then plot twist, I'm the DA. <gasps> um, back in jail, um, the journalist says she wants to do a piece on her. And so they talk about a possible story for the Chicago Magazine. Everyone subscribes to that. That could be a real publication. We could ask um, the Lifetime on Court guys. Um the jur- so okay so they're talking about the story and the journalist like reaches out and tucks a piece of hair behind elena's ear and suddenly this there's like a very lesbian vibe in the whole thing well which is fine but also it was just unexpected yes um oh yeah because she says she could never be fair with the story because she's already biased must be true love true love it must be true i'm done dr david is at work while the da chases him around the hospital trying to get information don't you hate it when you're busy performing surgery and the da just won't leave you alone he's like hey (laughs) um dr david says elena b cray and we re-flash back to the meeting at the airport except this time is that a direct quote what Elena B. Cray? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's just in there with the DA. The DA's like, tell me what you know about Elena. And he's like, well, you didn't hear from me, but Elena B. Cray. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, The potential lesbian scene is where I quit watching. So you're now giving me new information. Um, Okay. So we re-flash back to the meeting in the airport, except this time she came up to him. They share a cab and not an Escalade. And he gives her his card because she he may want her to help with a study or whatever doctors do that require a writer. Because clearly I know things. Okay. A mer- <laughs> medical writer is somebody who helps write the, like, articles that they put in their journals. Mm-hmm. And so they read the, like, study information and put together the article. Okay. Um, and he ran a publication. Okay. He took her to the hotel she was staying at. Not booked her a room at the other hotel and then he says the only other time they saw each other was when they were talking about her maybe helping him publish some research and so they go to dinner and she just smiles a lot and talks way too much about veal that's my favorite topic i almost had veal tonight (laughs) in fact but instead i went with rigatoni Mm. so after that he never hired her because because he knew that she wanted more Veal, I guess. Right. (laughs) Um, um, And so she started stalking him out of nowhere. 
He tells the DA that Elena's whole life is a lie and she's very good at it. And I wrote, huh, I know someone like that. Is it me? That's a whole other story. No. What if it was me? What if I've been lying to you this whole time? What if I'm really Jason Bateman? I mean, great costume. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure why of all celebrities I went I couldn't make myself Chris Pratt or like any of the hot Chris's or no, the hot Ryan's. He's in that weird cult now. That I divorced Anna Ferris because I'm an idiot cult? No, but like he's like a super crazy like Christian like he's in some weird like sect of Christianity. It's a little bit culty. Oh, I'm gonna have to do some research. Mm-hmm. Um Back in jail, Elena tells lawyer Dr. Gray that her parents are both dead. And we flash back to a very weird mother-daughter fight where the mom speaks in very big words. And it's just very weird. Is this where she packs up her bags and leaves? Yeah. Because I did catch this. She Mm -hmm. goes, I'm 28. I can leave. I was like, girl, what are you still doing at home? (laughs) (laughs) The DA meets again with the doctor and his wife. Um, The wife says Elena started calling him constantly at his office. She also called constantly at home. So they had to change their phone number like all the time. And so we get a nice montage of his answering service, like answering phone calls from her and basically telling her to go away. Then Doc says she started stalking him in person at the airport and at conferences where she would attend um, his speeches, which I think you really have to love someone to sit through a speech about post-op infections. Okay. As somebody who is, in fact, married to a doctor, you know this because I send you all the text messages that mm-hmm. tell you how miserable I am listening to doctors yes. talk. Mm-hmm. There's, I don't know how much love you have to have in your heart to sit through a whole conference. Like, at least whenever I go out with Sarah and her friends, there's alcohol. <laughs> Can you imagine listening to her talk for like an hour and a half about an infection with pictures? I would probably like the pictures, let's be real. Um, true. I would think. <laughs> But like all the doctors speak, I don't pus? need it. Like I, I just need like I just need Diane Sawyer telling me the story of a very gruesome no Keith Morrison both of me them. the story of a very gruesome murder over the top of these pictures. I want Diane Sawyer and Keith Morrison to start a podcast like ours where they're oh talking God. back and forth. <gasps> I didn't know I had a dream. <laughs> I miss when Waze had Keith Morrison as an option to give me directions. So I read a book about the cast of Friends. Did you know that Keith Morrison, I think, is Courtney Cox's stepfather? Yes. Yeah. I'm like, how much would Thanksgiving be awesome? Right. Because <laughs> you get to look at Courtney Cox and hear about murders. like Yeah. I'd be like, tell me a story. <laughs> <laughs> at the dinner table, my mom would be like, stop it. <laughs> uh, they're praying, Heavenly Father, we gather together. Um, Excuse me, Keith. <laughs> what do you know about John Bonet Ramsey? <laughs> Can we finish this or n- no. nope? Okay. <laughs> Amen. Um, um anyway. <laughs> <laughs> she would slip notes under his door that said things like, quote, you're just a wall away from personal ecstasy. <laughs> no, no, you are a wall away from something else, but it is not ecstasy. I and I just wrote ew. <laughs> I'm going to wait till Sarah goes to bed tonight and I'm gonna slip that note underneath the door and then I will come in twenty minutes later and ask if she got it. 
Did you get my notes? <laughs> um, we see her calling hotels, pretending to be Mrs. Doctor, so she can find out what room they're going to be staying in when they go to conferences, so she can get the room next door. It takes dedication to love someone, apparently. <laughs> um, then she shows up to the same restaurant she dumped him in previously, except this time he's with his wife, like on a double date. And she walks into the restaurant. She leans to the wife of the other guy. And she goes, I'm going to marry her husband. What the fuck? <laughs> and then she kisses Doc on the cheek and walks out. And the whole thing is like, everyone's at the table is like, This movie was so weird. <laughs> hey, correct me because maybe I'm not the best judge, mm -hmm. but I did not find this actor attractive enough for Jenna Elfman to be all over him like that. No, not okay. at all. Mm -mm. He wasn't ugly by any means. No, but... no, 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 no. Um, at this point, like I, I said, I don't really know who's telling the truth here. I feel like it's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, she followed the wife and kids around in her car, watching them. Um, the wife says she used to take a fire poker to bed with her just in case. And I'm like, whoa, there, Michael Peterson. Let's put that down. <laughs> um, um, Doc is throwing a barbecue and Claire is talking to her friend from the dinner flashback about the trial being in two weeks, after which they're going on a real vacation to Belize. Their friend asks why, of all the men in the world, she picked David, which speaks to your point. Okay, thank you. Someone gets um, me. The friend kind of implies that maybe Doc had sex with her. Okay. But um, Doc insisted to his wife that he never slept with Elena, so she believes him, because otherwise she'd have to divorce him. I no, guess so those are the only two options. I was say, that's the only two. Mm -hmm. Um. Then they start talking about Olivia. Okay, but real quick, completely inappropriate. Mm -hmm. You know Elena is a freak in bed. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. She is, totally. I'm um, just saying, the wife might have missed out. Like, they could have had a fun opportunity between the three of them. True. I mean, I wouldn't be upset if I had to sleep with Jenna Elfman. Um, so then they, the doctor comes up behind his wife, Claire, and says, Hey, did you tell her about Olivia? And so we see Elena talking to a, quote, doctor who feeds her a berry and tells her she should definitely pursue Dr. David because he's for sure not in love with his wife. And I'm like, I don't know what kind of doctor this is, but she wrong. <laughs> Wait, so a woman fed her a berry and then told her to chase another woman's husband. Mm -hmm. I want to know what kind of like compound these people live on because it sounds like a blast. I can tell you exactly where the compound is when we finish this movie. Back at Claire's, Claire and the Doc's house, they're fighting about Elena, which I feel like they've done a lot in the past couple of years or however long this has been going on. Over in jail, the reporter is still in jail for contempt for some reason. Oh, okay. She's like holding on to this. Mm -hmm. I won't share my sources. Yeah. Because everyone knows the judge can mm -hmm. hold you indefinitely mm -hmm. yeah just forever you can just be thrown in jail forever for whatever reason yeah it's called contempt um i wish i could just throw people in jail for contempt me too damn we need to become judges yeah how do we do that you can be elected you don't have to go to law school okay i'll run for judge 
No, I don't have an I don't have a clean enough past to run for any kind yeah. of political office or to marry anyone with political aspirations. Yeah. <laughs> um, Both of us were doomed before we started. Truth. Um, Elena is sad because jail is lame. Um, oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. So the reporter tells her this crazy story about a guy she used to date who was a quote widower. Except he was, in fact, still married. And she found out while standing in line buying him a parka for Christmas. Because, um... Nothing says true love like a parka, question mark? Yeah. So she goes to the guy's house and confronts him. And he says, you asked me if I'd been married. I was. She died. You never asked me if I got remarried. What the fuck? Where is this movie set? So I make sure to never visit. Chicago. Okay. I, this movie like tries so hard to be sophisticated and it comes across real bad. (laughs) I have a friend who taught theater and Mm -hmm. she always said that some artists and like movies and plays, things like that try to make a point and when you make a point if you want a white shirt to be dirty you put it in the dirt once and you pull it out and it's dirty but then there are some forms of art that try so hard to make their point that they run the white shirt through the mud so many times that now you just have a brown shirt (laughs) and i feel like this movie is a brown shirt totally um lawyer dr gray goes out for drinks with one of elena's friends and i was like this also feels weird um they talk about her fucked up childhood so i guess that's true um and then they talk about how elena always wanted to be a doctor and her friend casually drops the fact that elena is in fact a stripper this like hard twist that i did not expect Shyamalan level yes so lawyer dr gray goes to the strip club and we flash back to Elena. Okay, listen, I've never, I've been to strip clubs. I'm not a prude. I've never been to this particular kind of strip club because it's really like a peep show kind of thing. Okay. She's behind glass. Okay, so they have combined two but, events from her, like from the truth. Yes. Okay. So, but she walks out into the booth. I don't. It's called a booth. I don't know. Um. Sure. Okay. She walks out into the booth She's wearing, like, a bralette and, like, boy shorts and, like, stockings, whatever. She sits in a chair. She puts on reading glasses. She picks up a book. And she reads. That's... And then when the guy... When the guys talk, she just shushes them. And then starts to read out loud to them. Okay. Which I... apparently drew quite the crowd. And she made a lot of money, so... No judgment here, on you. but Sexy Librarian is a fantasy. Not saying that I have it, but, uh... Where do I find this peep show? Chicago. Chicago. If you live in Chicago and you know where I can find a peep show where a woman wears glasses and reads a book to me, um, that is not actually the (laughs) Chicago Public Library, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Lifetimesinhispodcast at gmail.com. My little brother listens to us. I'm so (laughs) sorry you just heard that. (laughs) <laughs> so apparently like she gets a line like out the door for this act 
and I I put I think she's doing stripping wrong. I don't know though. I'm gonna try it out and I will report back and see what happens. Please do. <laughs> to my next partner, you're in for quite a ride. <laughs> and then she said, oh, How no. dare you? <laughs> and so get this. So finally lawyer Dr. Gray asks what her stage name was. What is and it? And the guy is like, oh, Claire Start did what? What? It's the wife. It's the doctor's the wife's, wife's name. Stillwell was that their name? Stillwell. Mm-hmm. Claire Stillwell. Oh my god. He was. She was just using the wife's name as her stage name. I was like, that's fucked up. Well, oh, that's a coincidence. I just Claire was my great grandmother's name, and. Well, like wells don't move, so they're still. And so I thought Claire Stillwell sounded great. <laughs> so lawyer Dr. Gray is pissed now. She goes to jail to yell at Elena. And Elena goes off about how it's her choice, it's her body, they're her rules, she can do whatever she wants. And I was like, yay, feminism. But then she gets a job at the hospital where the doctor works. So she can like break into his office and go through it. I'm like, oh no, that's not feminism. Like, mm -mm. dial it back about seven steps. Yeah, you were were good until you weren't. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They start talking about her defense. Elena says she'll take the stand, and lawyer Doctor Doctor Gray is like, please, no. (laughs) Um, No. Listen, I think you're going to be busy that day. Like, um, I think (laughs) you're already booked. You're going to be real busy. She says they they can possibly use insanity as a defense. And Alina says she's ra- she'd rather be dead. But I guess she decides to meet with a psychiatrist anyway, because now there's a Jewish man following her around asking her questions. Not all Jewish men are psychiatrists, Erin, please. But that's... are all psychiatrists Jewish men? Oh, that's like every square is a rectangle. But not every rectangle is a square. Exactly. i don't know Um, what just happened to us (laughs) they're getting coffee and she has like a nice china mug and i'm like they have china in jail (laughs) she goes to fancy jail oh are they also wearing the um hoodies and belts like and the scrunchie of shame like from wisconsin it's not not bambi bam benix gel no it's a different gel um She's pretty hostile to the psychiatrist, and she says she's never dated that much, so lay off, why don't you? Um, we're back to Olivia. This time she's telling Doc that nobody will ever love him like Elena. Oh, Olivia's like the weird doctor, right? Yes. I remember? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure you remember, because I'm like bringing it up, but she's only been, she's only made like one appearance so far. Is, um, is she's, so she's a real character. She's a real character. Okay. I know where this is headed and you can answer that later, but Mm -hmm. right now it is a different Um, human being that is talking to him. Correct. Okay. She's telling the doctor who is in her quote office that which her office seems to just be a greenhouse or some kind of floral shop. So there's that as well. Um, She's telling him that nobody will ever love him like Elena loves him and she should really leave his wife for her. That sounds um, like sage wisdom from a really good psychiatrist yeah. or psychologist. So here we, we're back in the present and Claire goes to see Doc at work because she just has to talk to him right away. 
she tells him she confesses that she wrote letters to Elena where basically she ensured her professional and personal demise if she didn't leave Doc alone. That's an actual quote. Whoopsie. (laughs) Um, She also followed her like around town. And I was like, who is the stalker here? I'm so confused. They're stalking (laughs) each other. They're stalking each other, basically. Yeah. Um, Doc asks why Claire never told him. And she cries, quote, because I was obsessed. I was obsessed. And you know how much I love it when they put the title in the movie. Yes. Yes. It's like when you get Mm -hmm. to a Broadway musical and they sing the title. Yes. Well, she's and then she goes, I was obsessed, David. And so it just made me think of um, Schitt's Creek. You know, David. (laughs) Never seen it. I can't separate that show from anything else in my life, no. Um, However, Pop TV, which is what it originally came on, I don't know if it still does, um, but mm-hmm. they yeah. just bought the rights to One Day at a Time from Netflix because Ooh, Netflix canceled it, and I love One Day at a Time, so I'm glad that it's still going on. Shit's Creek is underappreciated. It's so good. Um, so lawyer Dr. Gray is sleeping. It's the middle of the night, and she gets a phone call. So she rushes to the hospital where Elena has been beaten up in jail. She probably deserved she's it. Like, I'm sorry. That was really awful she's of in, me. She's, in the, she's pretty beat up. Okay. But yeah, no one probably. deserves that. But every um, once in a while, somebody needs to get punched in the mouth because they're awful. <laughs> so lawyer Dr. Gray marches into the DA's office and is like, can you please let my client out of jail? And he's like, nah. So she totally lawyers him and she says, you know, what a shame would it be if we went to this trial and Elena is beaten half to a pulp while the doctor and his wife look all spiffy clean and upper class. Ooh. And she says they'll probably vote for acquittal in the hallway. <laughs> so then she like the guy's not paying attention to her at first. And so she tries to get his attention. She closes his laptop. And then he like reopens it, so she pulls the cord out. That's not how laptops of his work. laptop. But it shut off. That's I figured so that's what you were to say. That's maybe not it how didn't they have a good battery. Maybe it didn't have a good battery. I don't know. But that's what happened. I saw it. Um. <clears throat> so the DA decides that he can let her out of jail. So she gets out of jail and um, lawyer Dr. Gray drives her home while repeatedly saying to her that she cannot go near the doctor and his wife. She has to stay away from them. And Elena says, what do you think I am? Crazy? I plead the fifth. Foreshadowing. um, I also need a fifth. Then we cut immediately... We cut immediately to the psychiatrist. So, yeah, she crazy. Um, he says she has erotomania, which is a delusional belief that someone is in love with them when they really aren't. Okay. Um, he says that she could use insanity as a defense, but she probably won't ever accept it because it would mean admitting that her entire life was a lie and that David was not in love with her at all. They actually didn't have a relationship at all. Um. Cut to Elena getting ready for court. And hey, guess who's at her house? Elena's getting ready for court. And oh, you know uh-huh. who it is? Mm-hmm. Ed McMahon with a giant check. <laughs> Never Ed McMahon. It's the journalist. 
I guess she got out of jail at the I, same time that Elena she, did. She what stopped, a coincidence. She stopped being contemptuous. Yes. Oh, good. So, uh, oh, and this is where they say her name. A full hour and like 10 minutes into the movie. Perfect. Her name is Charlotte. <laughs> they start talking about writing together and toast their coffee. They go to court. Um, lawyer Dr. Gray says not to react to David in any way. He walks by and she freaks out, of course. Well, duh. So she so walks hot. over to Charlotte. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she walks over to Charlotte and I wrote, at this point, I'm 99.9% sure Charlotte is a figment of her imagination. Um, but Charlotte encourages her that she can do this. Everything will be fine. Everyone needs a Charlotte in their head. And she immediately... She immediately starts complaining about the court proceedings, about how the judge keeps calling her the defendant instead of addressing her by name. That's how this works. Yeah. Just so Charlotte appears okay. behind Elena and starts telling her to tell lawyer Dr. Gray which jurors to accept slash reject. And I'm like, um, that's her job. But okay. After court, she promises she won't contact David and then immediately walks outside and calls to leave a message on a, on a voicemail that he disgusts her. Then she calls back and she leaves another message that he has a potassium deficiency and he should see a specialist. Nope. And I was like, what the fuck? Um, while we were imaginary fucking, I did a bone density exam on you and heads up, you're going to get osteoporosis. Bye. So Doc goes into his apartment and he thinks there's someone there. Meanwhile, the DA, like they cut back and forth between this. The DA comes home and his family is there. Doc opens the bedroom door. And you you know, you expect that that she's going to be there, right? Uh-huh. But she's not. It's just Claire doing yoga. Okay. The DA's wife calls him into the living room and he goes into the living room and the DA's wife says, honey, this is Claire Stillman. I think you've met. It's Elena at the DA's house having coffee with his wife. What the actual fuck? Mm-hmm. So lawyer Dr. Gray is at home complaining about Elena being annoying. And her husband asks if she thinks Elena will leave the doctor alone or not. And she says, yeah, she's not that crazy, just as her phone rings. No. And I'm thinking she's about to change her mind. The lawyer gets called, or she gets called to the jail because, surprise, Elena got arrested again. I don't know what she could have possibly done. Lawyer Dr. Gray is not happy. She threatens to pass her off to a public defender. She says the DA didn't file charges because she pulled strings, but... Elena cannot screw up again. Her phone rings again, and since that's always been good in this movie, I'm sure it's great news on the other end. It's Egg McMahon. It's the DA. And it turns out a few minutes ago when we thought Elena was calling and leaving messages for the doc, she was leaving them for the judge. I was not prepared for that. <laughs> you know, Elena needs several Clonopin and a nap. Yeah, 
Well, she needs a time took out. A hard right, turned it all the way up to a hundred, and just went for it. She needs a time and, out. Yeah, and I'm not a hundred percent sure of the legality of what happens next, but we'll go with it. The judge says since Elena only harasses men, there's an easy solution to this. Put her on they lesbian island. They pass the case off to a lady. They pass her case off to a lady judge a lady DA, a lady court stenographer, a lady bailiff, etc. There's not a single man in the courtroom except Doc and maybe a couple of jurors I didn't see. <laughs> Doc is on the stand, and while it's obvious that Elena is a complete nutbag, I'm not 100% convinced they didn't have some kind of affair at some point. Okay. Um, and I remain that way. Um, Doc reads a letter that she wrote on the stand, and now... Oh, and then I put, now maybe I believe they didn't have an affair. <laughs> um, it's all super, it's all super clinical and basically just criticizes his wife. While he's reading this, Elena and the not real reporter lady recite the letter word for word to themselves. Oh yeah, she ain't real. No. And so, okay, the reason the letters are clinical is because the letters are from Olivia who is also not real. Right. I saw that coming, but that's because I know the true story. Yeah. During cross-examination, lawyer Dr. Gray pretty successfully gets him to admit that Elena never directly threatened him or his family. And she was basically being like super annoying. Um, Elena says she wants to take the stand in the crate and her lawyer is like, uh-uh, nope. But she um, really has the crazy eyes. So her lawyer's like, Okay, it's your trial. So Her she gets lawyer. on the stand and prattles on like she gets on the stand and prattles on like any run of the mill mill insane person would do. Beautiful. <clears throat> While she's on the stand, she um, is wearing the Cartier Love bracelet, and Claire leans over to Doc and says, "Um, she's wearing my bracelet." Uh-uh. And we flash back to when she was in the house and she took it out of her jewelry box. Oh my god. So basically, Elena says that she made up Olivia as a literary character to explain to um, David from the third person perspective why his behavior was irrational to her. Um, she's That's... being cross-examined by the DA, the lady DA now, and she says she's never been, oh, who asked if she's ever been to the apartment? And she says, she, well, I've never been to the new apartment, but I've been to the old one. Uh, oh, and she said, but I haven't been to the new one yet. Oh, that's that operative word there. Did you win? Yeah. Um, we're back with the verdict. She's guilty. Huh? Didn't see that one coming. Um, she's sentenced to two years in prison. The judge encourages her to take full advantage of the help the state will provide. <laughs> um, lawyer Dr. Gray walks her to the bus, gives her a hug, and tells her she's, for real, is like super unstable and she's got to change. Um, then they both cry. And, huh, Charlotte's on the bus, too. She got another contempt charge and now she's going to prison. Oh, man. Good thing she'll Except, have a buddy. So they're driving... They're driving down the road, and the two guards driving the bus look back, and one of them is like, who is she talking to? And they 
uh, focus back on the back of the bus, she's talking to herself. And that wasn't your edit of the week? Charlotte is not a real person. No. The other one was way better. Lifetime tried real hard to make that an art piece right there. Mm -hmm. She gets to the prison. She gets in line to see a doctor. A male doctor. Bum, bum, bum. She and Charlotte walk in together and the cycle starts all over. Good luck, prison doctor. Um, We end with, quote, while the preceding film was a dramatization based on actual events, names and locations have been changed and certain characters, events, and conversations fictionalized. The end. Damn, that was a ride. And That movie was bonkers. I loved it. It was so good. It was like a perfect like flashback to old school lifetime and they didn't give a fuck. <laughs> uh, for somebody who had, quote, not a lot of notes, we're at an hour. Really? Yeah. I told you we have a lot to talk about. We, yes. All right. So for this case to be so cuckoo bananas... And um, for this to be a real case, there's a surprisingly small amount of information available about this case. Excellent. There's like not even a Wikipedia. Well, good thing I went out. Yeah. Or went over. Yeah. Went out. I don't uh, know what I'm talking about. Well, not necessarily because what I did find was um, a piece that ran in Vanity Fair, which if y'all have not read Ooh. Vanity Fair as a crime magazine, you need to fix your life. Oh my God. I love Vanity Fair as a crime magazine. It's I just subscribed today so that I could start getting it. Cause I have read like old articles and mm-hmm. I was like, I need more of this. Um, yeah. So this piece ran in September, 1991. It was written by Marie Brenner and the title of the piece is called Erotomania. Erotomania. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, um, erotomania is uh, a form of psychological delusion whose hallmark mm-hmm. is the belief that one is loved by another person, usually a figure of authority, often a doctor, a lawyer, or a journalist. Yeah. Um, and erotomaniacs are a little bit different than the common stalker. So, like, do you remember Jodie Foster's stalker? Yes. Well, I was going to say, who doesn't? But, um, so, he knew that Jodie did not love him back, so... That's why he, he shot Reagan. Um, or that's why he planned to. Did he actually shoot Reagan? Now I've gone blank. No, wasn't it somebody from the Manson family? No. Um, somebody from the... No, the Squeaky from the Manson family shot somebody in political something. But I don't squeaky remember. got caught, but like got caught waving the gun. Um, any case, Jodie Foster stalker planned to shoot Reagan. Whether or not oh. that actually went through, uh, somebody will correct us. And like a lot of people wanted to shoot Reagan, apparently. Right. Um, but he thought that he had to do this grand act to make her love him, like that he had to show his devotion. Whereas erotomaniacs believe they are innately loved by that person and they don't have to do anything to earn it or keep it. Okay. So um, that is kind of the hallmark difference. Um but uh, there was a quote about it. Um, oh, this was the quote that Diane Schaefer, who is your, um, what was that woman's name? The crazy woman? Which one? The, the main character of this movie that you just watched. Elena. Elena, thank you. Uh, Diane Schaefer is Elena. Okay. She wrote in this in a letter, and it kind of shows just how... Um, how evolved her erotomania was 
You are almost in the position of a box office star of the 1950s. Everybody wants a piece of you. Everybody wants to feel they know you. Starting with that first published article of yours, the very innovative, necrotizing intercolitis paper. No one read that. <laughs> no one thought he, like... I mean, no, one person read that. <laughs> yeah, clearly the one that mattered. Um, she, and then she, anytime we hear she in regards to these letters, they refer to Diane. Okay. So she has read every published article of yours, every book review, and some in very obscure articles, indeed, like the hepatogastroenterology. Um, so that sounds super boring, right? Um, so hard pass on any of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so this piece, I'm just going to kind of take you through some of my favorite parts of it because it was so hard to try to piece together a timeline from this mm -hmm. that I'm just going to go kind of going to go in the order of importance that um, Marie Brenner went with. Okay. Um, and she did mention that um, this woman looks like a movie star, like an old silver screen actress. And uh, her name was Carol... Let's see if I can find it. Um, oh, crap. I can't remember now. Uh, I'll come across it. But um, this actress uh, starred in a movie. And this is where I thought of, like, you, especially, mm -hmm. like, our, our Pornhub or TV. Because oh, yeah. the movie that she starred in that grabbed my attention was just called Orgasmo. Well. <laughs> there are no questions asked there. Nope. All right. So... This is our first introduction to Diane Schaefer. Mm -hmm. um, it is her testimony on the witness stand. Mm -hmm. She says, late in the afternoon, I finished work and I went back to the building. Henry, the doorman, was again on duty. I said to him, would you let me in to wait for Dr. Brennan again? I went into the apartment. My opaque bathrobe was still there. Dr. Brennan came prancing into the apartment, very obviously <sighs> drunk, laughing in a Bacchanalian fashion. The phone rang shortly after. I managed to pick up the bedroom extension. Mrs. Brennan was screaming and she was hysterical and said, I am coming out there and I'm going to throw that disreputable slut out the window. <laughs> and she said, you're going to get venereal disease from her. Finally, he calmed down and we sat on the couch and I was sitting on his lap facing him with my arms around his neck and my legs around his back. Hey, does this sound familiar? Yes. <laughs> this whole scene, it's in that movie. Uh, like literally just picked out of the Vanity Fair article and stuck in the movie. I said to him, what are we going to do about this? And he started speaking in very abstract, elliptical terms. He said, what would make you happy? He said to me, you have completely complicated my life and I'm not even sure that I mind. Um, so what I gather from this direct quote, yes? Yes. She's just as insufferable in person as she was in the movie. Yeah, I wrote, Jenna Elfman fucking nailed this part. Oh my God. I would not be able to be around this person. Um, because first of all, who talks like that? Um, like, have you ever described your bathrobe as opaque? No. Like, like I would hope it's opaque. That's kind of the point of, <laughs> of a bathrobe. No, all my bathrobes are see-through. They're all sheer? Just every one yeah, of them? Yeah, all of them. <laughs> Sure. And then I just walk around hanging out everywhere all the time. <laughs> if I could be naked, I would be, but I can't. It's the so. Emperor's new bathrobe. Only sheer. Yeah. 
So the, uh, I just also underlined where she said he started speaking in very abstract elliptical terms. Uh, tell me about how he was laughing again, though. Oh, in a Bacchanalian fashion. Yes. I mean. So that's why this is where I don't believe. Like, I cannot believe that this happened, but I like that the quote was in the movie that she said, I'm going to throw that disreputable slut out, slut the, window out the window because <laughs> I refuse to believe that anyone said that disreputable slut. I like, I love it. I, I'm going to endeavor to call someone a disreputable slut like, before I die. I'm honestly surprised that um, Diane Schaefer didn't say that she threatened to defenestrate that disreputable slut. Because wow. that means to throw out the window. Like, there's a word for that. And then I was like, ha, huh, I know a word you didn't use, girl. Because <laughs> she uses words in this article that I had to look up. And I have a, like, I have a large vocabulary. I don't yeah, use do. it, but I have a very large vocabulary. Yeah. And so then I'm like, this woman just was trying to beat a superiority complex. Like, Yeah, totally. Um, so <coughs> Diane Schaefer was testifying in the case of the people of the state of New York versus Diane Schaefer. Mm-hmm. The defendant arrived at criminal court in Manhattan each morning wearing handcuffs and Chanel pumps, a Cartier watch, and a chic linen dress. She was... I mean, that's a mood right there. Right? She was a brainy blonde who had seen better days, a nobody in tabloid terms. So Marie Brenner really sets a scene. Like, I love this woman's writing. You know, it just sounds a lot like Anna Delvey in her trial. And I wonder if Anna Delvey, like, studied Diane Schaefer as, like, a, a, a case study for how to dress in court. Right. Um, so She did also have a stylist, so... Yeah. So Diane Schaefer's lawyer said in her opening statement, excuse me, this is a case about a young woman who met an attractive doctor and they had a relationship and he ended it and she still loved him. Um, there is no evidence that they had a relationship at all. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, it would not surprise me if this because she was an undeniably attractive woman yeah if this woman came up and she's got this impressive vocabulary and she looks amazing and he is lonely it would not surprise me if they had a one night or maybe a multiple time affair that yeah did not equate to a relationship right Um, or even if they like kind of hooked up but not really and then she took it way too far right exactly i could even see that being Actually, maybe that a little bit more or maybe a one night stand. Right. Um, So um, the object of her desire was Dr. Murray Brennan, who was the head of surgery at Memorial Sloan Kettering, which is a uh, cancer hospital in New York. Can you imagine being in love with someone named Murray? (laughs) Right. He's got two (laughs) last names. Uh, That's fine. I have two first names. I do, too. I was going to say you and I both have that in Mm -hmm. common. Uh, my entire life. At least your last name is a boy name. No, because my first name also could be a boy's name, and people call asking for Mister all the time. Oh, really? All the time. Mm-hmm. See, I ever my teachers call. I get misgendered like constantly, and my- I just like got over it. I don't care anymore. Well, see, it wasn't the gendered thing so much as I didn't expect people would call you by your last name as a first name, like people who know you in life. Oh no! Well, people. Oh no. Um, but people assume that my last name is my first name and then I'm a man. So I get a lot of like, dear Keith. And like, here's the body of my email. And I'm like, nope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I get people that call on the phone and they're like, um, always shocked that I'm a woman. Yeah. And I'm like, hmm, surprise. See, I get, 
I get called Adam a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. Um, people will introduce me to, this is my friend Adam. And I'm like, we're clearly not friends because that ain't my name. And <laughs> like, so in any well, case, Murray Brennan. Um, and he was actually a very well-respected surgeon. Okay. Um, I think, was he hot? Well, he was old in all the pictures I saw. So I don't know. It's not a good accurate, like an accurate representation. Um, right. But he, um, he uh, was the chief of surgery at this Memorial Sloan Kettering. He, he was also so renowned that um, he would often get flown out to operate on dignitaries who were, quote, friends of the U.S. So, like, there is a situation where he was being flown out to Salzburg to operate um, mm-hmm. on a, like, on a... He couldn't disclose who it was, but it was a dignitary right. from a like from Austria. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, just the scenes that this woman paints are wonderful. It says, as she testified, she leaned forward eagerly, almost breathlessly, and told of the lengthy affair she said she had with Dr. Brennan. She mm-hmm. acted like a woman very much in love. Diane Schaefer told her lawyer that she believed her mere presence in the courtroom could reignite the passion she had once known. Oh, yeah. She says that in the movie. Mm-hmm. Her sense of detail about her romance seemed so acute at times, the judge had to admonish her not to speak so much. Mm-hmm. That Sha- happened, too. <laughs> Schaefer appeared to have the ability to recall conversations that had happened eight years previously, specific restaurants where she and her lover had had dinner, acquaintances they had met on trips. She used big words and impressive phrases to shore up her testimony. Didactic, tautology, androgynous sobriquet, puerile. What a scabrous, Schaefer's attorney asked once. Cursing, profane, Schaefer shot back quickly, for she was actressy and prided herself on her fine vocabulary. Well, (laughs) I mean, I guess if you can't pride yourself on your fine vocabulary, what else is there? Yeah. So, um, this, so she was 41. Mm Mm-hmm. So that is the thing that shocked me the most because like Jenna Elfman is in her early thirties in this movie, mid thirties. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. She's maybe even younger than that. But, um, this woman was like 10 years older than I am and would break into this man's apartment and show up just in like a see-through negligee, which I mean, girl, if you can rock it, do it, but probably not as a surprise to someone you're not in a relationship with. You do you in your own home. Right. Or in any home you have an actual key to. One that you've been invited into. Right. Like a vampire. Mm -hmm. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) Like a vampire. Exactly like a vampire. That's how every woman in a see-through negligee wants to be referred to. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so one of the conversations, this whole piece, ref- uh, like, basically went around the courtroom. Um, mm-hmm. It does talk a little bit about her life, and we'll get into that, because it cray, too. But, mm-hmm. um, so... She, of course, talks about, you know, their very involved affair and, um, uh, you know, this deep relationship they had and that he was always about to leave his wife for her. And, um, yeah, his order of events was much different. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this was a line of questioning. 
Um, they said, would you describe as specifically as possible exactly what happened when you walked into that apartment, into your apartment? And <laughs> he, he said, well, she was there dressed in a sort of see-through negligee of some kind. There was a telephone in the kitchen. And so I went and picked up the telephone and called my wife and said, you are not going to believe this, but I'm literally standing in front of Miss Schaefer. Mm-hmm. And the attorney asked, when you told her to get out, what happened? And he said, well, I walked into the bedroom and the majority of her clothes were, were in the bedroom. So I picked those up and put them in the small living room, mm-hmm. went in and closed the door. Sometime in the next hour or 45 minutes, she left. And then he's, the attorney said, Dr. Brennan, had you given the defendant keys to your apartment? He said, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And then this is what, where I have a question. Mm-hmm. The question was, had you ever invited her to your apartment? And he says, categorically not. No. Mm-hmm. Categorically not sounds like, not in those words, at least. Yeah, but it can also be used as, it's, it's, got a, it's like a multi-use word. I mean, you can use it like as absolutely, but yeah, it does have a weird thing to it. And also, like, I just have a really hard time... How did she convince the doorman to let her in if he'd never laid eyes on her before? Right. With them together. Right. That's the one question that sticks out in my brain super hard. Like if he never laid eyes on her, never seen them together, how did she convince him to let her into her his apartment? So I have a theory and it will kind of come out as we're going through this case. Mm-hmm. Um, but there might actually be an answer to that. Okay. So, um, this went on for eight years. Like she followed this man around for eight years. Mm-mm. Um, according to, and nobody got time for that. Yeah. She followed him to medical conferences in Boca Raton, San Francisco, Milan, and Boston, among other places. I'm just not committed enough to be a stalker. No. I don't have time to follow a man around for eight minutes, let alone eight years. Well, and I don't have the money to follow somebody that in Milan. She often appeared mysteriously in the seat next to him on airplanes. One Christmas Eve, Brennan said she showed up in a limousine in the driveway of his country house. She called his act. She called his office so often using different names and like fake voices that his secretaries were frequently rude to his actual patients on accident. For instance, one time a lady in waiting for the Duchess of York called. Oh my God. And her secretary said, who is this? Or his secretary said, who is this? Well, he'll have to get back to you. And like was real short with her on the phone. You got Fergie on the phone real quick. Like, excuse me. Right? Do not be rude to my staff. Um, <laughs> because Dr. Brennan was supposed to consult with her stepfather. Um, and then um, often at airports, Schaefer would try to jump into the same taxi with him. She left him profane messages on his hospital answering machine. She sent him scores of letters, telephoned his friends using false identities, and God. once tracked down his mother in New Zealand. What the fuck? She, That's wild. She penetrated the vulnerabilities of his marriage with the relentlessness of the most cynical reporter. Finding out his secrets became her career. Um, you know, I think even the most stable marriage at some point would have experienced some uh, rockiness at this kind of persistent behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and so she she dug up kind of his dirty laundry. So 
he was a like I said a world renowned uh, cancer um, operator, cancer (laughs) surgeon. Yes, the cancer (laughs) operator. Yes, can I connect you to bone marrow cancer? So, um, but his wife had, she was Ivy League educated and went to Harvard Medical School. Mm -hmm. And she was a physician also. In fact, for the first like 10 years of their careers, she worked at a very impressive hospital. I think it was Mount Sinai, like Mm -hmm. one of the really good ones. Mm -hmm. And he worked at a, um, a free clinic for cancer patients. Mm -hmm. And then he got this appointment at, um, the really fancy one, Kettering, Mm -hmm. whatever, well, that works. Uh, Cedar Sinai is in uh, New York, so yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So they were living in like Maryland and commuting to their businesses. Mm-hmm. So when okay. he got this nice job in New York, um, she was actually able to quit working and stay home with the kids for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, they moved down to her parents' land. They had basically a compound, and they bought like her childhood home and okay. lived on it. But it was a ninety-minute drive back and forth to work. That's so yeah. right, well, and surgeons operate till late in the night sometimes. So he yeah. did have an apartment in the city because mm-hmm. sometimes he would get out of surgery at nine thirty or ten at night and have to be back mm-hmm. at work at six for an early surgery. Mm-hmm. I mean, as awesome as Grey's Anatomy makes it look, it's not comfortable to sleep in an on-call room. No. So. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. And so, um, well, and you you only have access to a call room when you're on call. Yeah. So. Well, if, not on the show. Right. On the show, you just go there whenever you want. Right. To have sex. Well, that's <laughs> what they're for, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. On call. Also, you, speaking of compounds, you ask where the compound is, where these people are. Yes. It's in Elena's head. Oh, naturally. Where the compound yeah, is. Yeah. Uh-huh. So um, she did dig up, like, she got underneath his skin by saying, like, he was um, angry that his wife wasn't working and that he felt, uh, in fact, the quote was, he felt castrated living in her childhood home. Yikes. Um, and so... It brought up some like truths in his unhappiness in his marriage. Mm-hmm. Not that he was unhappy, but everyone has something they would like to be better. Right. Like, well, you can have things that you're unhappy with and not be like completely unhappy. And right. I almost said categorically. So that's exactly <laughs> what I meant by it has multiple uses. Yes. So um, anyway, um, so she really did dig down. But after eight years, I guess you really can study somebody when they're your focus for. Well, and eventually, if you start to push all the buttons, you're going to hit one. Right. That works, you know. Um. So she when she was arrested. So she was arrested multiple times. This movie makes it seem okay. like it was just the yeah. once. But she was arrested multiple times. Um, and in one instance when she was arrested her purse contained an address book with his travel schedules the telephone numbers of his neighbors and data about his children and friends right 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 yeah don't leave people's children alone like yeah for real that's messed up like kids are always off limits she also had a complete set of medical id cards like to get into all the hospitals where he had privileges um airline frequent flyer cards and a box of buff colored stationery which she used to send letters to him on uh, and one rubber glove okay michael jackson or oj i'm not quite sure she also like gonna give him a rectal exam like while they (laughs) nothing you know the quickest way to a man's heart is through his anus (laughs) 
Well, um, only be uncomfortable for a minute. In an interview, she said basically that she saw herself as a woman who had come up short in a passionate love affair with a famous man. Mm-hmm. And then she said, Marla Maples ended up engaged and I ended up in maximum security. Kate, Marla, mm, Maples, Marla Maples, very yeah. Trump. Uh, she was basically in maximum yeah, security as well. Like, mm. <laughs> uh, I forget, like, I, you know, he's done so much crazy shit in the past, like, three months. I forget about all the crazy shit he did 30 years ago. God. Um, hey, if you're not registered to vote, you should go do that. Yes. Um. So the guy who kind of studied erotomania and first brought it into the uh, DSM, mm-hmm. um, it came in DSM three. Um, Ooh, that's an old one. <laughs> yeah. So he. Uh, We're at five now, right? Yeah. They're. Mm-hmm. I think they're working on six. Like six. Oh yeah. Well, they start the new one as soon as they put out. Like one. I think they're like finishing up editing six and. Um, anyway, so uh, they said that she has. Seven of the ten um, characteristics that lead to a violent erotomaniac, and that um, she actually very closely uh, resembled um, Ruth Steinhagen, who sure. convinced uh, a baseball player from the Philadelphia Phillies, his name was Eddie uh, Waitkiss, that. Um, or she was convinced that Eddie Wakeitz was in love with her. Mm-hmm. So she seduced him into coming into her hotel room and then she shot him. And that that's kind of the path that Diane Schaefer was on. Okay. Isn't that how you show love? No. Okay. Well, Sarah and I have been no. married eight years and I thought, um, I thought the 10th anniversary was the shoot her anniversary. So if I'm wrong, correct me. You're wrong. Okay. Don't shoot her. Okay. But don't sh- shoot her. But we have that life insurance policy now. Don't shoot her. <laughs> Especially now. <laughs> okay, good. You have the life insurance policy. You have the motive built into your marriage. You have to be way above board in all things now. Well, I'm glad you corrected me on that. Thank you. You're welcome. So, let's see. Oh, this is more about erotomania, which I found very interesting, but I think that it will uh, be very boring on, like, it was like the nerd in me was oh, like, let's sure. read everything about psychology. <laughs> uh, so her lawyer was named Joyce David, and uh, she was a, a prominent Brooklyn criminal attorney, mm-hmm. and she, um, she was known for taking on very complicated cases. Mm-hmm. So... The list of people she's represented uh, included the guy who stabbed Reverend Al Sharpton. Wow. And um, can we just talk about the irony about how Reverend Sharpton got stabbed? Ha 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 ha. Sorry. <laughs> it was low hanging fruit, but I had to get it. Um, and then she also represented uh, the hitman in the baby Sam drug ring. So, I mean, I don't know what that is, but I want to know more. Right? But it was a hitman. Like, so she took these, like, famously difficult cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Schaefer went to her, she'd already been arrested six times. And was... How has she not gone to jail yet? She was flat out of money at this point. So 
David, like Joyce David, took this case pro bono. Okay, yeah. Can you imagine? You're like, I could do this. And then this is the crazy thing that you're stuck with for free. Well, in the in the movie, the lady um, said she was appointed by the court. No, no, no. She wasn't. She took the case pro bono. And she okay. said, because I find like the the like the case like itself very interesting. Okay. So. Um, well, and so this is what she said of it. I had mm-hmm. to take the case. It was a human drama. Men harass women all the time and they never get arrested. Why were they yes. going after Diane? This is true, but also I've never had that level of harassment. I mean, maybe not level, but yeah, it's complicated. Yeah. So, um, I, while working with Joyce David, Diane Schaefer was asked to undergo a psychiatric exam, like an evaluation. Like yep. Mm-hmm. And she refused to take the psychiatric defense that was offered her. Mm-hmm. She said, I am not insane. When I love, I love. Every time I would talk, and then this is uh, her lawyer. Every time I would talk to Diane about erotomania, she grew agitated. She wouldn't hear of it. She was absolutely convinced that she had this affair. Mm-hmm. Um. And so the um, Diane basically said that she didn't want a defense, uh, a criminal defense. And this is what she, I mean, uh, a um, psychiatric insanity. defense. Thank mm-hmm. you. Criminal insanity. Um, she said the court psychiatrist who found me not not fit to stand trial clearly misunderstood my sense of humor. So this is what she thinks the whole reason that he declared her crazy was. He said to me, what do you think will happen to you if you are found guilty? And I said, I'm sure they'll bring back the electric chair. That was in the movie. She said, I think they'll send me straight to the electric chair. Yeah. And so she was like, that's why he said that I'm crazy. No, oh, that's, that's the reason. Okay. No. honey. Um, she said, I thought I could go to trial and win. And there would have been more of a stigma to me, uh, to having the label of being crazy. Um, that and that I was unfairly framed. So her whole reason was so that people wouldn't think she's crazy, except hey let me, let me tell you a secret about Diane Schaefer. She real cray. She cray. To to quote the doctor to the DA. <laughs> she be cray. Alana be cray. Um in the spring of nineteen ninety, Diane Schaefer sent Dr. Brennan the first of nine lengthy letters. The letters now formed the basis of the nine count harassment charge. So she was given nine counts of harassment because of these letters alone. Okay. In them, she assumed the obviously fictional persona of Cecilia Taylor Thompson. So this is your Jonathan Olivia. Taylor Thomas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I loved him. This is the nineties. He's back. He is. He's back. <laughs> um, yeah, so she is now Cecilia Taylor Thompson, an 80-year-old British psychiatrist at the Royal Society of Medicine who pretended she had met him on an airplane. Wow. And she called her a whimsical literary device. Yes. Not, that is not what that is, by the way. No, that's your crazy show and you like, gotta tuck it back in. Like, Jane Eyre is a whimsical literary device. You know, I don't know if I call Jane Eyre whimsical, but you know, do you know how playing it fast and loose with the word whimsical? (laughs) It's categorically whimsical. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
God, we sound like pretentious assholes now. Well, it's because I spent too much time reading this case where she was a pretentious asshole. God, and I spent too much time watching this movie where they were all pretentious assholes. She said, in this first letter she wrote, I thoroughly enjoyed our talk on the flight from Cleveland to New York last week. I am flattered that you wish to undergo psychoanalysis with me. Your psychological makeup is such that it would have been your choice to make your work your only baby. I think there is a great deal of truth in what the young lady, the one you said turned your life upside down and inside out, advised you. Pursue your own happiness and theirs, meaning your children's, will Mm -hmm. follow. By the way, young man, I can call you young man because you are 30 years my junior. If she really did seduce you, it was because you wanted to be. Okay. Well, while I will say that children are generally happier when their parents are happy, um, also, the rest of that is complete (laughs) bullshit. So, what the fuck now? Yeah, right? So, all of these letters were over 2,000 words apiece. Oh, my Lord. Right? Nobody has time for that. Look, watching you and Fran struggle to write sometimes... 2,000 words is a lot. Oh, it so, is. Oh, it is. Watching um, you guys break through, which also watching you guys break through writer's block is always such a, like, win for me. I'm like, yay, they get it. Like, oh. Yeah. Um, so, let's see. I already said that. I'm still going to write my con artist book. I'm working on it now. Good. Good. <laughs> um, so, one of her letters, she went in depth about how she rejects Freud's essay uh, called On the Universal Tendency to Debasement in the Sphere of Love, which sounds like That's a fun a read. page turner. <laughs> <laughs> um, she says, God, I read that one. I couldn't put it down. Well, she so good. would disagree with you, and here's why. God. I rejected that essay of Freud outright in medical school, as I did much of Freud. It is so preposterous. I have always felt that he wrote that to reassure his neurotic Vienna housewife patients who were coming to him because their husbands were having affairs. Well, as I have always said, when a man has an affair, there's a reason. And under many circumstances, it might be the most moral thing in the world to do. I wouldn't go all the way to like most moral thing to do. <laughs> I think like volunteering at homeless levels, shelters. There's a few levels above that. I mean, there's also a lot of levels below that. So oh we'll yeah, just put that like right in the middle there. <laughs> like you could kill your wife, and that's below yeah, just having just, an affair. It's way below. <laughs> but also, like, okay, so look, I'm not a big Freud fan. It's uh, he's got some good points, but a lot of it is just too much but also well the, the thing about freud i just yes ended you i'm sorry yeah you did go ahead fine mansplain go ahead no, no. i'm just kidding <laughs> I, I didn't have really anything else. Oh. i was just saying like i don't like he, he had good points in the beginning but then i think he took it way too far yeah so the thing about freud is that his research was kind of salacious for mm-hmm. the time yeah but and then when he was called on it like you know he had a big thing that Men like to smoke cigars because they're penises or whatever. And so when somebody asked him when he smokes a cigar, does he imagine he's sucking a dick? And he was like, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. And it's like, right. well, what, who gets to decide? Does just Freud get to decide? It doesn't apply to everyone but you. And also, <laughs> not everyone does things because they want to have sex with their mom. Like, <laughs> Right. 
you know, my two motivators are sucking dick and, you know, incest, so. <laughs> Hi, Paul's little brother. <laughs> I've given up. <laughs> You're going to have to send him a text and be like, please don't listen to this. <laughs> so he's way behind. Oh, good. And so, like, the other day he texted me something from, like, Oh, he just texted me the Homeward Bound movie cover, but oh, it was man. like weeks after that episode. Mm-hmm. And so I had to really think hard about what that was. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so in six to eight weeks, he'll listen to this and then he'll just disown me. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. I'm going to be like, by the way, Thanksgiving is canceled. <laughs> Everyone else is coming, just not you. <laughs> So Cecilia Taylor, Jonathan Taylor Thomas often mm-hmm. wrote to Brennan about his wife, Susan, who, like I said, was a doctor trained at Harvard. And she said Poor things Susan. like the only times that Susan pretends to want to travel with you is when she senses the young woman is also going to travel. Get something through your head, Brennan. She doesn't like you. She can't tolerate you and she can't stand being with you. Maybe she doesn't travel with him all the time because like hiring an overnight babysitter is expensive yeah maybe you know or for many reasons this man was always traveling and presenting because he was a world leader in oncology right um she once wrote to him that when schaefer was angry at him her favorite curse was that quote his fingers should all become infected with staphylococcus and drop off so you wouldn't be able to practice surgery anymore I mean, that's rough. So it reminds me of Mozart. So everyone thinks of Mozart as like this classy musician. Oh, no. No, he was. Mm-mm. So he was emotionally stunted and socially stunted, starting to perform at four years old. Um, and one time he had a performance and his family who lived in the area didn't come. I think they were his cousins. Mm-hmm. And when they didn't come to his performance, he wrote them a letter that said, I curse you that in your sleep, your bowels will release and your bed will fill up with shit so much that you fall through the floorboards of your home. <laughs> Very specific. <laughs> so Very specific. Yeah. But, I mean, I admire the tenacity with which he wrote his insults. Yes. Um, so basically the theme through all of the letters, however, was the intense loneliness and romantic desire on the part of like on Diane, you know, like Jonathan Taylor Thomas is like, but this woman is so lonely and in love with you. And why can't you see it? Um, she said such a brilliant, beautiful, funny woman. And her needs are so simple. All she wants to do is get the New York times each night at 1030 at the stand on first Avenue between 68th and 69th. <laughs> and get into bed with you and read all the wonderful things in the paper. <laughs> And then have a 20 to 30 minute long discussion about each article and then do the crossword puzzle in the most pretentious way possible. And then have you read her a bedtime story and then watch like Nightline and then go to sleep. Is that so hard? (laughs) I love though that she gives like the specific time and place. It's like you got mail. Like if you would like to meet, I will be at Cafe Lalo. I will have a single white like I will have Here's what I want every night till the day I die. When I, at eight o'clock, I want to go downstairs to the bodega at this place, and I want to get the New York Times, and then I'm like, that's like forty minutes long. 
just instructions of what she wants to do. Yes. That's so wild. now from the outside, Diane Schaefer seemed like a perpetual victim. She said her childhood was dreadful. The boys in her high school mimicked her and threw objects at her. I can't imagine why. In college, she was abused constantly by her parents. Various lawyers who've represented her were, quote, the lowest form of life, which, I mean, most lawyers can be. Many, sure. many lawyers can be. Yes. Um, Not all lawyers, Paul. I know. <laughs> then she said, the jury hated me, too. Once in a letter, she compared her parents to Joel Steinberg and Hedda Nussenbaum, who had this uh, folly adieu that resulted in the death of their daughter. Okay. Yeah. Like, I I don't think your parents were that bad because you're still alive. They probably sucked, but you're still yeah. alive. So Everybody's parents suck. Um, now, they did interview one of her friends growing up. The journalist did. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, so... Diane Schaefer gave her permission to interview the friend, but she mm -hmm. was like, you can't list her name in this article. You have to call her Miss X. But the friend was a, um, a writer for Hollywood. Like she was a famous Ooh. on her own TV writer and she did not mind her name being released. But Marie Brenner knew that if she broke that, that she wouldn't have the trust trust of Diane Schaefer anymore. So she doesn't release who the name is. She just I mean, her first X. of all, if this writer Miss X did not write this movie. She really fucked up. Right? Um, so, so take a second and think about your life choices. So Schaefer Miss was X. born in Yonkers. And um, I love that word. I can't get over it. Yonkers. So she talked about growing up poor. In fact, at one point she talks about, and I skipped over this in the letter. She talks <laughs> about um, the saddest part of Diane's life is that they grew up poor, even though they could have lived comfortably middle class. But listen to the way that this, the way that. <laughs> How does she describe poor? I don't know. She, she oh. just, it's poor. Especially because both of her parents were attorneys and she only wore couture. Or like. No, that's what I was asking. How did she describe poor? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Because she. It's like, I don't wear the same outfit twice, but once I had to, so we were poor. She wore the same black dress to her court hearing every day. Oh, mon dieu. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so they lived in this, like, kind of posh-sounding neighborhood. Um, but, you know, that was, quote, she, yeah. you know, she's I don't quote, think they poor. were poor. That's what I was getting no, at. No, I know. <laughs> um, she is remembered as an odd girl and an outcast. But her friend, who's the TV writer, did say um, her parents were actually really tough on her. And that her, um, that while she doesn't flat out say that she was abusive... She does imply that they were probably a little violent. Like she doesn't mm -hmm. outright say it, but there's an implication. Um, yeah. She, she also. Just, that's sad. Yeah. And also there's a lot of people that grew up that way that didn't turn out to be complete nutbags. Right. Um, Diane's friend, Miss X, remembers that they were anti-Semitic, like the family was. Ooh, and that was that's really not good. Yeah. Mm -mm. And we so, don't like that. Um, Diane's mom, especially would, in Yonkers, what were you doing? Right, her mom would ask her about meetings at school. Quote: Were there any kikes there? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Dude, no, mom. Uh -uh. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like I, I said last week, Grandpa, we don't say that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yes. By a <laughs> which I've had, I had that conversation with my grandmother. Yeah. 
she was in a um assisted living facility she was obviously way older it was right before she passed and she we went in to visit her one day and she said oh i just had tea with the lovely blank uh-uh. inward woman next no. door and i was like grandma we don't say that no. anymore like me and my sister both totally flipped out and she was just flat she was just like what do you mean oh. well, at least she was old and probably on the edge of dementia if it not was demented so, yeah yeah so there was that still, it was like oh yeah um i had a friend who's just a few years older than us that a few years ago he was talking about um he he has friends who are quote oriental and i went i went listen i need to explain to you oriental is a rug or a flavoring it's not a type of person oriental is my favorite flavor of top ramen right exactly that's that's the only time it's living in the south is a trip y'all for real Um, So this was a quote from Diane. Mm -hmm. She said, my father used to call me a misfit of society. My mother was physically abusive. She had an irrational, uncontrollable temper. I was beaten up two or three times a week from early childhood until I was 29 years old. I mean, at 18, I would have been like, bye, bitch. Right. (laughs) Um, So Diane did... uh, attend college fine uh, like she went to college she studied um education mm-hmm. so she graduated in 1970 with a degree in education i thought uh, maybe she just studied the sat vocabulary words. right then she enrolled in the physiology and human human genetics courses at mm-hmm. sarah lawrence college but was not accepted into the master's program so she began just appearing at the mount sinai medical center in a lab sarah coat. lawrence like a liberal arts school i that sounds like it i don't know anything about it pretty sure that it is although i don't quote me but i'm pretty sure that it is so we're kind of now running long so i want to speed through because sorry this article itself is 30 pages so i I told you we had a lot we would because my notes were short and i told you we'd have a lot to talk about because this lady is cray yeah so um so she just started attending, like appearing at Mount Sinai, wearing her own lab coat and pretending to be in a student program. And so like you do. then she like she even like drew blood from patients. Wow. She said that a close friend of hers was an addict and asked her to steal some uh, Percodan from the hospital. And that was her reason for being there. No, this was her reason for getting, quote, fired. Oh, okay. She said she took the drugs and got caught. But the Yonkers Herald, which is their, like, the newspaper there, um, ran that she had been charged for um, practicing medicine without a license. There was no mention of stolen drugs. Yep. Okay. So um, she said, when I got to court, I was numb. My mother called me a jailbird and said, this will haunt you for the rest of your life. But the charges were ultimately dropped. Okay. Um. Schaefer did approach Susan Brennan at one point during a dinner and told her, I will marry your husband. So she didn't even say it to a third party. She looked her in the face and said it. Um, So then she wrote a resume um, that said she'd gotten a BS in chemistry 
and mm-hmm. that um she got her bs all right <laughs> right and that she was working at um at the time she was at sarah lawrence she wrote on her resume that she was working as a colonoscopy technician um which maybe that's that glove we mentioned earlier i it could be um she was called by a group of physicians who noticed that she had kept attending different functions she was called the colorectal groupie <laughs> and uh, she had a um an anal fixation is what a psychologist said about her well more power to you i don't care I but mean... don't pretend to be a doctor and draw people's blood like you're not a phlebotomist if you're not a phlebotomist am i right it's true <laughs> i mean technically drawing blood is like a phlebotomist or maybe a nurse like I've never had a doctor draw blood from me. Doctors learn how to draw blood, though. Like, well, they do learn school. how, but they don't. No, do it. Uh, so if you you've always lived in like a city, but mm-hmm. like doctors in the middle of nowhere do things like that, you know. So. Interesting. Like I, I I've had one doctor. I was at a surgery, like a small surgery center, having an outpatient procedure, and he came and put my IV in because everyone else had tried, and he was the only person that hadn't tried. And he did it. Mm-hmm. Well, good. I was like, he was like, I'm out of practice, so this is gonna hurt. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> so she, um, she got writing assignments from pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies. She did uh, write for publications and things, mm-hmm. um, but she told her friends that she had gone to Harvard, and then she prepared a new resume, which made her a surgeon who graduated from medical school at Boston University, and had taken a internship and residency. Uh, residency at an internship and residency in surgery sorry at harvard okay and that she'd published such papers as advantages of superior approach for mitral valve surgery oh i read that one it was super boring (laughs) she told a doctor in boston that she had been quote married to a minister and she once told a new jersey medical writer that she was an anesthesiologist who had lost her license to practice because she had murdered her handicapped child (laughs) how are you gonna spit a lie that makes you look worse than you are this lady was insane and so literally when like Schaefer says that these stories are not true, even though like they're coming out of the woodwork and you can't really deny some of them, but she said um, that these accounts are not true, but I did have to lie sometimes to get work. I know we're running long, but I really have to ask you this question uh-huh. as a doctor. How often does your wife use a resume? I they don't use resumes they use CVs and just the once for this job thank you that's yeah. all I want to say <laughs> um, so the scene where they got in the same taxi in the show in the movie mm-hmm. yeah. um, that happened he they ran into each other at Chicago O'Hare airport mm-hmm. and she said she even remembers what she was wearing. A navy blue single-breasted Brooks Brothers blazer, a gray flannel skirt, a beige cashmere Kalnick sweater, a burgundy shoulder bag, and burgundy high-heeled sandals. Okay, first of all, why are you wearing beige, gray, and navy blue all together? And That's burgundy. A lot You're a real American girl. Woof. Yeah. Um, anyway, so she saw the doctor and she said that they had been introduced by one of his medical school 
um, professors the mm-hmm. year before. And he said he thought it might be possible because he meets thousands of people a year. So he sure. can easily forget. So he said, oh, you've changed your hair. And that was just kind of to um, pretend like he remembered her. Mm-hmm. But she saw that as he was in love Noticed. with her. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why I always, when I see people, when I meet people, even if I'm meeting them for the first time or I've seen them before, I always say, nice to see you in uh-huh. case I have met them before. Yes. <laughs> um. So now before him, she had stalked Jerome DeCossi, who was the director of surgery at Sloan Kettering before this guy. So she really does have a thing for surgeons, I guess. I mean, he and poor Jerome was like, I'm off the hook. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Jerome, in fact, when she interviewed, like when uh, Marie Brenner interviewed him, didn't really want any part of the interview. But he said, here's the file that I kept. And it was a file that contained hundreds of documents and lawyers letters oh that dated back 10 years. According to one of Dekasi's early memos, Schaefer had begun to appear at the colon rectal conferences in 1978. She called herself a writer. Um, now, she um, she was known to have several aliases. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, she like she listed herself in the phone book once as um, D. DeCossi, so that she could intercept calls that were meant for him. And she was a burlesque dancer who used um. One of the doctors that she stalked names and then like the wife, like she used the wife's name. Uh-huh. Um, oh, her stage name was Susan Brennan. Um, and Susan Brennan was his wife's name. Oh, that is vicious. Yeah. So that was at the burlesque um, place. But she like if also... I got a job and was like, my name's Dr. Sarah Adams. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm here to put on a show for you, big boy. I'm here to put on a show for you. Um, <laughs> So oh God. in one of her Jonathan Taylor Thomas letters, she wrote that he should uh, he should see what a woman of high quality she was because um, 95% of people who dance burlesque go into prostitution, but she didn't. And I was like, I don't think that statistic is close to accurate. I'm not a regular <laughs> burlesque dancer. I'm a cool burlesque dancer. <laughs> Um, she did also work in a, um, triple X booth. It was, it was uh, a place called the triple X bookstore. And she also danced at the pussycat den. Um, and at the triple X bookstore, it was a peep show and she did the cat scratch club. (laughs) You go to the cat cat scratch Scratch club. Club. Um, sorry. (laughs) Anyway. So, um, she really did sit in the peep show booth and read medical textbooks but not like two people. That's just what she did like between viewings. Oh. So there's that at least. Um, but when she worked at the triple X booth, she called her, her stage name was Jerry, like short for Jerome DeCossi. Yeah. So she had a history of stalking these people after one of the arrests. She stalked the DA. Um, so Did she call the judge and tell him he had a potassium deficiency. Not, not to my knowledge, but you know, there were 30 pages to this article. Yeah. So maybe that was in the footnotes. It was wild. Um, she, there was so much happening at the end. I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? Wait. Um, so it took Brennan two months after meeting her to finally tell his wife. Cause he believed that she would just disappear. 
But right. then she kept appearing to things. And so um, she several days later, after like the first appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no, no, no. So in November of 1982, here it is. Um, she just kind of appeared in the lobby of the like hotel he was staying in. And she said, so your place or mine. And then several days later, she appeared at his apartment in the city and they both testified that she appeared there. And he said, as I stood in the kitchen, taking talking to Susie on the extension phone, she tried to unzip my fly. <gasps> um, and yeah. So she said the, uh, the reporter said, why didn't you testify to that? And he said, no one asked me, thank God. And he like, blushed and almost vomited through this situation like Oof. like it was a bad experience for him I, mean, so, I can imagine like just like i don't want someone to try to take my clothes off that i don't want to take my clothes off i can imagine people other people feel the same way right so um susan brennan also knows all the words in the dictionary Excellent. She wrote a letter to Diane Schaefer in 1983 that said, you clearly have made the assumption that my husband is, quote, available. I suspect that this is based upon the premise that any man who spends time in an apartment in the city rather than going home must either A, have an unhappy marriage or B, be sexually deprived or both. In the case of my husband, that premise is not even remotely valid. Should you have the unmitigated gall to utter one word of slander with respect to Murray, I will embark on an unmerciful legal campaign which could result in nothing short of your professional and social demise. Yes, this was the letter word for word that they used. Which I can sum up in a very short sentence. We fuck all the time. Leave him alone. Right. We got we got kids <laughs> to prove it, bitch. Move on. Um there's and so Diane responded with a letter. There is no point in your attempting to communicate with me. You are merely wasting your time and money. I have absolutely no interest in you, your thoughts, or anything about you. I think of you about the same way I think of Murray's three secretaries, someone remotely related to him, and I have neither the time nor the inclination to read anything you have written. So you save that twenty cent stamp for someone else, bitch. Right. Um. So just to kind of wrap this up, um, she went what like she would pretend to be other people on the phone to find out his information. Mm -hmm. She worked for a travel agency for no pay so that she could get their flight discounts. But also, do you remember back in the 80s and 90s when mm -hmm. uh, travel agents could see the whole flight list and so they could rearrange like seating for... No, I wasn't born yet. No. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, so she could pull up the whole like seating list to arrange where she was sitting. Yeah. Um, she... The manifest. Yes. Mm -hmm. She basically would um, figure out what time he was arriving to speak at a conference and then work backwards to figure out what flight he was on. Mm -hmm. um, she would call hotels when she figured out what hotel he was at and pretend to be his wife and ask what room they're in. Like in that scene where she's like, does it face the pool? Like that was a real yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. Um which was super creepy. Like, yeah. So oof. all of this stuff um, from the, like this movie was scarily accurate. It was. I watched. It um, was really good. I really liked it. They, I, I kind of miss this old, like salacious lifetime. This is the lifetime that inspired our intro and outro music. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, and um, it also inspired the length of this episode because we're right back with like Bambi Bambenic. No, we old still school. had another 30 minutes on that one. But uh, <laughs> um, so she did, she was eventually um, arrested or she was originally mm -hmm. sentenced. Mm -mm. 
eventually sentenced to two years in prison okay. and kind of disappeared after that. She hasn't made any big waves since then. Mm-hmm. Um, he continued to be a rock star surgeon and his wife did eventually go back to work as a physician. Good for uh, her. You know, so after all that, I would want to cut something up too. <laughs> right. Um, so that is the upsetting case of Diane Schaefer and Dr. Murray Brennan. Look, this case was awesome. Yes. Nobody died. It was full of like really fun. I, I, I don't know. I, we needed something light. We needed, I needed it. something light. Yes. So this was perfect. And that's why we've prattled on for so many hours. You're welcome. Yeah. All right, so um, we will have the schedule posted on the blog this week. Mm -hmm. Um, But until then, tell all the beautiful folks and my ugly brother where they can find us on social media. Facebook.com slash Lifetime Sentence. Go like our page. Um, We're on the Instagram at Lifetime Sentence. On the Twitter at Life Sentence Pod, you can send us an email. Ooh, look at us! I oh. thought we were going to say it together. I know. <laughs> um, you can send us an email at Lifetime Sentence Podcast at gmail dot com, mm-hmm. and you can access show notes and links and our schedule at Lifetime Sentence Pod dot com. And of course, subscribe to our Patreon, Patreon. at patreon.com slash Lifetime Sentence. Mm-hmm. We're halfway through uh, this season of Big Little Lies. Oh my god! And then we will be finding something new to talk about. Because Which we're trying to figure it out right now. By that, yeah. by that she means we are the categorically consummate professionals who know yeah. exactly what we're doing at all times. Yeah, we planned it six months ago. We're just trying to refigure it out. Duh. <laughs> all right well this has been so much fun it really has and i'm gonna executively decide to skip our lifetime movies of the week because we went so long that's fine so um anyway we love you guys and don't forget to eat your vegetables and charge your phone talk to you soon Bye. bye this has been lifetime sentence where the truth really is stranger than fiction thanks for listening